Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to our Monday evening lecture. It's a great privilege for me to introduce Michael Russum, who is the founder and chief proprietor of the Catran Press, not only because Michael works for us, <laughs> because of all the designers we could have chosen in the United States, or indeed around the world in this digital age, to um, effect Rare Book School's new typographic identity, we chose Michael Russum and the Catran Press because we think his work is that good. We also chose him because he is the owner of perhaps the coolest collection of folding bicycles in the world. <laughs> this is true. I'm not making this up. In fact, we saw a really neat uh, yellow Italian job that he had just acquired when we went to visit him in Cambridge, Massachusetts recently. Um, I think on the next visit I'm going to insist on seeing the Japanese paratrooper folding bicycle with, that he owns. Uh, Michael grew up in uh, North Andover, Massachusetts. He spent three years working at the press and letter foundry of Michael and Winifred Bixler, where he learned almost everything he knows, he says, about the minutiae of letterpress and spacing and pages. He's had uh, various work experience, and he founded the physical premises of Catran Press in 1999, painting the floor of his new office on New Year's Day. If you go to the website, he says something pretty neat. Michael says, metal and digital together are in our blood. We learn to make books the old-fashioned way, one letter at a time. We also know how to turn on a computer. But we've had our because we've had our fingers and faces in the nitty-gritty of metal type, we know that letters aren't just pictures of things. They are things. And we treat things with respect. I think that tells you something about his design philosophy. Michael has taught letterpress printing and typography at Harvard and Smith College. And he's lectured at the Society of Printers, the Typophiles, the Guild of Book Workers, the Baxter Society, Smith College, the Caxton Club, and now, thank goodness, Rare Book School. Michael Ressa. Thank you. Um, if I had known there would be such a big response to the folding bicycles, I would have much rather talked about those. <laughs> well, it's, oh, it's surreal treat to be here, um, and I want to thank Michael and Barbara and Amanda and Danielle um, for making sure I got here safely and for inviting me. Yeah, so I'll start first with a confession. Um, I've always thought that postage stamps and the collecting of postage stamps was for losers. Um, and this is because in movies and on TV, the stamp collector is always a pathetic schlub, and practical jokes are played on him. And as I grew up, 
this notion that stamps were not cool was confirmed because countless women rejected my invitation to have them come over and see my stamp collection. <laughs> so, with that, um, although it is a field that is often overlooked by bibliophiles and historians of printing and typography, several of the most important contributors to modern book and letter arts have made great contributions to the modest little postage stamp. And that's really all I'll say about stamps, because this afternoon, or this evening rather, um, I'm not going to be talking about philately or perforations or watermarks or the penny black or the inverted jenny or ducks. Um, this is a talk about lettering and calligraphy and graphic design that just so happens to be found on small pieces of paper that we stick on the corner of envelopes. <laughs> These little bits of paper reveal a great deal about how designers make decisions. I suppose this is true of anything, but the smallness of stamps requires one to take the time to look closely. Yeah. What's next? Um, I've cataloged about a thousand stamps by designers of typefaces. It would be foolish to, to claim that none are missing from this collection, but um, if any of you have put together a comparable list, you bring, feel free to bring it up and we can compare. <laughs> no one's ever, I've given this talk five or six times, no one's ever brought up their list. <laughs> the first few times I gave this talk, I would list off a name, uh, rattle off a list of 15 designers. But I've since found that there are, in fact, 44 male designers and one female designer. Uh, and I won't bore you with that list. I'll just let you know that there are 35 designers from Europe, one from China, one from Canada, one from Israel, and seven from the US. The collection spans 110 years. The first stamp I found is on the left, and the most recent is this German stamp which uh, seems to depict um, domestic violence, <laughs> but in fact celebrates a German board game whose name, I guess, translates loosely to Don't Get Angry, Man. Um, the first designer I found is Eugene Grasset, who's best known for his Art Nouveau posters and illustrations, and this is pretty typical of, of his work. Um, here's a poster from 1892 advertising ink or harps. I'm not sure which. <laughs> uh, and here's a brooch from the turn of the last century. Here's his one typeface called Grasset, and this is sort of a rubbish type specimen, but it's sort of a rubbish typeface, so you're not <laughs> really missing anything. And here's his first stamp uh, from 1900, celebrating the 25th anniversary of the Universal Postal Union. And one interesting thing about this stamp is that it doesn't, or these stamps, um, it doesn't say anywhere on here that it's from Switzerland. One must infer that it's from Switzerland from the White Cross and by the fact that this is a portrait of Helvetia. Um, generally, with the exception of Great Britain, every country is supposed to clearly label their stamps as in their country of origin. I'm not sure how this one snuck by. Uh, although that was his first produced stamp, his first actual design um, 
is shown here. In 1896, the New York Times wrote a review of a forthcoming French stamp, which never actually appeared. Um, in 1904, the design was adapted for French Indochina. And here are the rest of his stamps from 1913 and 14, um, showing the Swiss landscape to full effect. These were the first stamps, or among the first stamps, to use the landscape to promote international tourism. And so Eric Gill. Let's see. Um, as far as I can tell, as far, as far as I can tell, Gill is the only one to write um, passionately and fervently about the design of stamps. He carried out a lengthy public argument with his stamp collaborator, Edmund Dillock, in the pages of the Times of London, and these um, editorials ran for weeks back and forth until the editor finally decided that this was a matter that they could probably best discuss amongst themselves. <laughs> In 1937, as he prepared for his one published design, Gill wrote to the controller of the post office supplies department, from my point of view, the whole idea of a picture stamp is essentially unreasonable. The essential thing in a postage stamp are the statement that the thing is a stamp, the denomination, and some sign that the thing has official origin. It seems to me that to use a pictorial subject is just pandering to sentimentality and the appetite of collectors for anything curious. <laughs> So, now that he's panned the picture stamp, here's his picture stamp, um, or his design for a 1924 stamp for the symbols of the British Empire. Um, this design was canned because they felt that a hammer and some wheat were not significant symbols of the power of the British Empire. Here's another unused design from 1927. Um, for the Postal Union Congress, 1929 rather. Um, on the left is his Perpetua design, and on the right his Gil Sands design. Another failed design came out when um, they were planning for the coronation of Edward VIII, and these stamps were all ready to go into production, but then he gave up, um, Edward VIII gave up the throne for Wallace Simpson, and so all the, all the stamps were canned. In 1937, he proposed this design without any um, monarch <laughs> so that they could just put anyone in. This was before Photoshop, right? Yes, yeah. In 19, later in 1937, he finally had a stamp with these King George V and the national emblems of the empire. Gill had actually designed these stamps uh, with another portrait entirely in mind, but the post office decided that this portrait by Edmund Delac was much better. And then another failed design for everyone's favorite anniversary, the centenary of the adhesive postage stamp <laughs> in 1940. So it was actually the work of Jan van Krimpen that got me interested in the idea of postage stamps by type designers, as a handful of his stamps were shown in uh, a record in honor of his 60th birthday. And here are just three of his types, Spectrum, Spectrum Italic, and Open Capitalin. 
He was the chief designer at the Anskade foundry, um, designing everything that left their offices. He's often thought of having a rather cold, a perfect but cold style. And these title pages are really spectacular, but they do lack warmth. But check out these stamps. The color here were stamps printed and issued in 1926, and they were left over um, for 14 years, and they decided to reissue them with these Van Krimpen values printed on top. So that was an early form of recycling, or recycling stamps. Nowadays in the U.S., when we raise the, the price of, or when they raise the price of postage, they gather up all the leftover stamps and just burn them. So um, this overprinting of stamps is something that Van Krimpen would be called on to do again and again. But here's just more boring Van Krimpen. Um, this series from 1946 and 47 was done for the Netherlands and all of the colonies. And I'll take advantage of this pointer. Um, one of the great things I find about stamps and the opportunity, and because they're often done in series, it's easy to compare and see how things are different, and sort of wonder why they did things differently and how they solve certain problems. Um, here is an N in the middle, and the swash goes off to the right. Here's that same N in the, about the same place. The swash goes off to the left, and here a swash off the top. And these are all one cent stamps, but the, in each case, the one is a different size. So these, I don't have a television, so this is what I spend <laughs> my, my evenings trying to figure out. What's next? Um, here's the same design uh, adapted for the colonies as well, and you can see the different sizes of the ones. He changed the weight of the characters from stamp to stamp. In this entire series, there are probably 70 or 80 stamps for all the different colonies and values. Um, back to the overprinting, um, these first two stamps were the permanent court of international justice and then when the, that court was no longer permanent, just the court of international justice in 1947. And, in, and the gold lettering here is his work. And here's a close-up. Um, I have all of these stamps and with this overprinting and in each case, the gold is terribly printed, very sloppy. He would never have designed letters that fat and gross. And here's a stamp designed by Pike Cock with Van Krimpen's lettering. And the what I found interesting about this series was the Curacao set, which has these really strange ornaments, I guess we'll call them, on either side of Curacao that were put there, I imagine, to fill out the line optically to match the length of Wilhelmina. Uh, Van Krimpen designed about 500 stamps over the... designed or contributed lettering to about 500 stamps. And this is his very last stamp from 1957. But his work lives on in a way that I think most designers would hope for their work. Um, it's available as pillows and <laughs> towels and bed sheets. And Sam Hartz came after Van Krimpen at Anskede, so we'll talk about him here second, too. He was always the second fiddle. 
to Van Krimpen, except in the world of stamps. He's always listed first as designed by Sem Hartz and lettering by Van Krimpen. They worked on hundreds of stamps together. Uh, Hartz designed a handful of faces for Anskade and Linotype and Stevenson Blake. None of those faces were readily available here, so he wasn't all that popular over here. One of the advantages to living in the Netherlands is that he was able to design stamps for the Netherlands and all of the colonies, and he designed stamps for Belgium and their colonies, and Luxembourg and their colonies. Mm -hmm. So the trick to designing a lot of stamps is to live in a country bent on world domination. <laughs> um, this series with Queen Wilhelmina is for the Netherlands, the Dutch Indies, Curacao, and Suriname. And there are probably another 35 or so stamps in this series. And a few years later, uh, Queen Juliana got the same treatment. Uh, Sem Hartz was one of the few designers who engraved the stamps that he worked on. This one from 1947, uh, marking the 50th anniversary of the abolition of slavery, slavery in the Belgian Congo. But what gets me about this stamp is that it doesn't actually seem to depict the emancipation of slaves. <laughs> And in this stamp for from 1951, um, he tackled Roman letters, Cyr um, Cyrillic, and Chinese characters, and here Arabic for 1960 from 1964 for Tunisian National Day. Uh, Hart's designed stamps for about 40 years. Um, here are two designs for Charlotte, done 37 years apart. And this stamp on the right was one of his very last, and I sort of think he should have quit while he was ahead. <laughs> that, that portrait is terrible. So Hartz was the most prolific um, designer of stamps, and so now we have the most prolific designer of types, Herman Zapf. And just three of his faces, um, which are probably on your computer, or were marking the sign to the bathroom or um, your lease on your apartment. <laughs> Here's a little book he did in 1968 that probably not many people have seen. Uh, Thy Sweet Love Remembered, a book of Shakespeare's sonnets for Hallmark. And some hand lettering for this wine label. Oh, yeah. Uh, in early 2000, I wrote to him and asked if he might like to write a little something about his stamp designs. And in April, he wrote back saying, yes, I think this is a great idea. When can we start? So I wrote back and I told him when we could start and what I had in mind. And um, this letter came a few weeks later, and he told me it was a terrible idea, that no <laughs> one would be interested. And um, it was mailed on... June 29th, and it came on my birthday. <laughs> so, that was a sad day. Uh, Herman Zapf had a very short career as a stamp designer, uh, designing just 12 stamps, I think, in three years. This is a series from 1951 and 52 of great Germans who did great German things. <laughs> Another great German, Philip Rice, in 75 years of telephone service in Germany. Thank you, Mr. Rice. Um, and another great German, 
100th anniversary of the birth of Otmar Mergenthaler, the designer of the line of type. And a token great Italian, 500th anniversary of the birth of Leonardo da Vinci. So we've just seen five designers whose work in type design was really focused on bookwork. Um, and those were the guys that I collected first. Once I had gathered up all of the stamps by designers of metal faces, I didn't know what to do. So I started on designers of digital faces. And I wasn't sure if I should let this guy in because these are his types. <laughs> uh, a sign language type, uh, hands in action, and sort of strange things related to driving. Um, freeway in trance is the first one. My way exists. Uh, John Benoit Levy is a Swiss designer who moved to San Francisco a few years ago, and these were posters that he had worked on in Switzerland before moving here. His first Swiss stamp came out in 1995. This was the A-level priority mail, which would have been used on just about everything. And after that stamp came out, it proved terribly popular, and it was released as um, a coil of, of self-adhesive stamps. And he designed the packaging for that, uh, which you see up top, which is reminiscent of a stamp designed by Adrian Frutiger, who designed Mer Meridian and Frutiger and Universe. So after designing the A-level stamp, and the packaging, it only made sense to gather 10,700 people in color-coordinated shirts and hats <laughs> and take a picture of them from above for the Guinness Book of World Records of most number of people on a single stamp. <laughs> so, I feel like I should end there. <laughs> Uh, Wim Kral was a, one of the pioneers of Dutch modernism, and in 1967 he published designs for a new alphabet which had no diagonals or curves, and I found that it's surprisingly easy to read once you get accustomed to this alphabet. I'm just not sure why anyone would want to go through the trouble of getting accustomed to it. Um, that said, it was the very first design or typeface I used when trying to come up with the identity for a rare book school. And I know that, that so it looks like it says rare boot school, but that's actually the K. So I guess one more reason that alphabet never really <laughs> took off. Um, Crowell designed hundreds of stamps and um, hundreds of posters and catalogs for Dutch museums whose names I won't try to pronounce. In 1960, he designed a poster on the recto of this book for the 10th Congress of the International Graphic Industries. And on the right, he uses the circle again for the 100th anniversary of the International Postal Conference. Two posters on the left and on the right, a stamp for the 400th anniversary of the National Anthem. And what gets me about this stamp is that it's celebrating something 400 years old the, the national anthem, and can you imagine what our stamp for the, our national anthem would look like? It would be covered in leaves and ornaments and probably, I guess, that pyramid with the eye at the top. They seem to sneak that in wherever they can. In 1976, this series of Dutch numbers came out, and the lettering here was later adapted for use on Olivetti typewriters. 
although it never was actually released. And this series is a continuation of Van Krimpen's numbering stamps from 1946. Um, and you get to see a side-by-side -side comparison of the same problem by the classical designer and the modernist designer. Gerard Unger, who's designed dozens of faces, um, many of which are used for newspapers, including USA Today, which I know you all read right after the Times. Um, here's Flora, Flora Bold and Swift, and a little logo for the Dutch Film Fund from 2002. He's also designed all sorts of signage and wayfinding systems for the Amsterdam Metro, Dutch road signs, and the city of Rome. And he designed his own doormat. Um, apparently vast in Dutch means fixed in English, but I'm not sure what one thing has to do with the other. In 1981, this series of stamps for Queen Beatrix came out, and Unger designed the lettering, which we'll see and closer up in a second. In 1991, ten years later, Beatrix hasn't aged a single day um, when they re-released the series. And earlier in the 2000s, um, the series was updated for use with the Euro, and she looks exactly the same. <laughs> so the stamp, the portrait is composed of dots, so Unger created this typeface um, made up of dots, which I thought was clever, or not. So we've just seen seven or eight Europeans, and I thought we should see one Chinese designer. Uh, Min Wang trained at Yale with Paul Rand and Bradbury Thompson, and he later taught there before going out on his own. Um, these are his two typefaces, Min's type design and Mythos. I can't tell you how many times I used these faces. <laughs> That was a joke. So, <laughs> <laughs> I guess after showing that rare book school thing, it was believable that I could have used this. Uh, Min Wang was the design director for the 2008 Beijing Summer Olympics, and he designed these um, uniforms for the torchbearers and the plane that carried the torch from continent to continent and the medals. And he also designed these four stamps for basketball, fencing, sailing, and the one-handed handstand. <laughs> um, normally, I would have ended this talk here, so sorry for you guys. Um, but then the first question is always about the Americans. And in the beginning, I didn't actually know that there were any Americans. American type designers who had designed stamps. So lucky for you, I found seven guys that we'll, we'll take a look at. Um, Herb Lubalin, who designed faces for um, dry transfer and film setting used in advertising mostly, was known for very smart and sexy graphics in the 70s when smart and sexy was in. But check out these stamps which are so square and boring. Um, these were done in 1959 and sort of redone in 1967. And these were actually designed with John Pistilli, who designed a great titling face, which none of you, and even I, I'm assuming, 
or I know I <laughs> had never heard of, called Pistilli Roman. Um, and I can't, I've just found references to it. I can't find any pictures of it. Saul Bass, who was an Academy Award-winning director and graphic designer, designed this one face rainbow bass, which is pretty useless no matter what color he set it in. <laughs> uh, he's best known for his graphics and titles for films by Alfred Hitchcock and Stanley Kubrick and Martin Scorsese. And then he also designed these very square um, white bread logos for these organizations. And then just this one stamp from 1983 celebrating science and industry. And Julian Waters, who is a calligrapher living in Maryland, um, designed Waters titling, which in the face in which I've said his name. And I think you'll see a film about his father on Wednesday. Tuesday. Tuesday. So don't show up for it on Wednesday. <laughs> um, he contributed the calligraphy for these two stamps, the Bill of Rights in 1989 and Presidential Libraries in 2005. Just two more. Um, Milton Glaser receiving the National Medal of Arts from President Obama earlier in the year. Uh, I've said his name in his only typeface, Milton Glaser. I'm sorry, his name is Milton Glaser. His, the name of his typeface is Glaser Stencil. And I, I didn't think anyone actually used this face either, but I took a US Air flight and I was sitting over the wing and it was actually used on the wing when it said, um, don't step in this area. But I couldn't take a picture of it, so you'll either have to take my word for it or fly U.S. Air. <laughs> Here are two of his more recognizable designs from the 60s and 70s. And this series of stamps for the UN for their Healthy Environment Campaign in 1993. Seymour Quast was a partner of Milton Glaser at Pushpin Studios, and he designed the name uh, The Fate the face in which I've said his name, Quast Buffalo. And this set of work, um, the cover for the Esquire Party book in 1965, a poster against the Vietnam War, and then a pro-Obama poster from 2008. And these stamps for the UN's Immunize Every Child campaign in 1987. And I'm pretty sure this stamp on the left, which promotes immunization against tetanus, um, that clinic also must immunize against vertigo because everyone in that <laughs> stamp seems like they're about to fall over. <laughs> All right, almost the last one is Lance Heidi, who designed a typeface called Penumbra, in which I've said his name. And Lance wrote a book in 2007 about one of his stamps designs, and his publisher insists that I mention this book every time I give the talk. And I was supposed to bring copies down, but I forgot them conveniently. Uh, Lance is best known for his posters, and these are three bookish posters, sort of. The first is his very first poster from 1977 with the bookbinder David Bourbeau um, at his night job. In the middle is Arno Werner at work, and to the right is the School of Library Service from Columbia. And Lance's three stamps, Mentoring a Child, Special Olympics, and Jury Duty. 
<laughs> so, the very last guy is Bruce Rogers. He never designed a stamp, but he did design Centaur, and he designed book plates, and he designed this little book. Um, and the cover reads, Portraits of Washington, illustrated with elegant engravings on steel with an introductory note by Bruce Rogers. So you open up this little book, and it says, This series of well-known portraits brings you many Christmas greetings. And upon turning the page, it's just a book of stamps <laughs> that, he, that he had had bound into um, marbled papers. So I don't know how many stamps we've seen, but it's always painful that I can't show them all. So I made this little movie, um, and you'll get to see them, I hope. <laughs> so that's it. <laughs> Well, that was timed perfectly because you can see that my computer has zero um, energy left. <laughs> I guess I forgot to plug it in. Thank you very much, Michael. I'm sure Michael would be very pleased to take questions, and I suspect that your talk has generated any number of them. Are you married yet? <laughs> that is a perfect question. <laughs> Well, it's been one month and ten days. And I must say, when we didn't know here at Rare Book School, and we got the wedding announcement, we opened up and said, this is beautiful, what is it? And then, of course, he had designed his own wedding announcement, which was incredibly nicely done. There was a question in the back. Do you think these designers thought about perforations? You said you weren't going to talk about them, but I mean, Van Trippen seemed to play a border into the perforation. Um, that's a good question. <laughs> Let me stall by telling you that. And um, I think anyone who's designing anything should consider every aspect of it. I mean, certainly there are instances where there is no consideration to the perforation, but Van Krimpen was a smart and prickly, and he took care of everything, so I'm sure he thought of it. I, the gill stamp, I know the crown fits right into the perforation, which is fine if the perforation is spot on, but there are a number of instances, and I've actually brought stamps to give all of you, and some of you may end up with a gill whose crown is lost in the perforation, or the hole, so... But um, may I think about that? Of course, going forward now with self-adhesive stamps, we've eliminated that in, in many cases. Yes, yeah, now often they're, um, they're die-cut, and they're, they seem to be die-cut pretty well, pretty spot-on. Um, but if I... If you would allow me to speak about philately for two seconds, the problem with die-cut stamps is, or the, the self-adhesive stamps is, that they're hard to put in an album, and it's hard to get those that adhesive off. So, 
Yes. What does the future of stamp design look like? Well, in this country, um, I'm not so keen on American stamps generally, and I was told that one reason they're so lame is that because this country is so enormous and we have they have to appeal to the broadest number of people. The Dutch stamps are designed by all sorts of superstar hotshot European designers. And if I guess if you have a dud stamp in the Netherlands, I mean, that can only be so many stamps and there's only so many people to offend. <laughs> um, but here, people get bent out of shape easily. <laughs> yes? You've, uh, you've obviously developed a real aesthetic for stamp design. Could you talk a little bit about what that is and how it's different from, say, poster design or good title page? Oh, jeesh. That's All a good question. That's a good question. <laughs> This, uh, you know, I, I, you know, I've been doing a lot of research about rare book school, and I often think everyone here is so smart. And everywhere else I've given a talk, they've asked really easy questions. <laughs> um, you know, I don't know that I have an opinion about stamp design in general. What, what appeals to me about this body of work is, say, Van Krimpen or Hartz or Gill, where their work has been studied to death, but no one ever sort of comments on their stamp design. So this is a whole body of work that is unexplored. So I'm not looking at these as stamps necessarily, but the work of Van Krimpen and um, Herman Zapf that I haven't really been able to see anywhere else. So upstairs we'll talk about your question privately. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yes? Um, not so much, but why don't you tell everyone what a Cinderella <laughs> is? Right, yes, thank you. Um, it's hard enough trying to um, get the stamps that were issued by real places. Um, and I feel very anxious. Whenever I find out about a new designer whose stamps I don't have, I feel very anxious that I am missing them. So I need to get them as soon as possible. So the more research I do and find out that I'm missing, I don't want to know that I'm missing things. <laughs> I want this to be easy and done so I can go on to collect it back to bikes. <laughs> what country was the one female designer? Um, Sweden. And the only reason I didn't show her stamps is because I only found out about her last week. And I ordered the stamps right away, but they haven't come yet. I even called home to see if they'd come today <laughs> so to get a scan emailed, but they weren't there. To, to add to the Cinderella definition, there are also kind of unofficial stamps, and so that they, in fact, would be used, I mean, they could appear in addition to regular stamps. Uh, for instance, uh, I happened to collect French stamps for many years until I realized how hard they were to enjoy inside a big fat book in the sink. Um, 
But there would be, for instance, uh, aviation shows in the 20s and 30s, or even the teens maybe, which would issue, like in Rouen, they would have a, an air show, and they would issue um, Cinderella stamps, mm -hmm. say, maybe in a few colors, maybe not even denominated, that celebrated the air show and maybe went on envelopes sure. of first flights from Rouen to however far a plane could fly in those days. Right, and that actually reminds me that one of the most expensive stamps I have is a Cinderella, um, designed by someone who, if I don't remember him, he, he wasn't worth remembering, but um, he, was, he taught at the Bauhaus, and that was why I bought it. Um, so it really it depends on what I'm interested in that day and how much work I have and how much I want to procrastinate the, this year has been very busy so I've been buying a ton of stamps <laughs> last year I had no work and I bought no stamps yes Well, only in that um, it keeps me from getting work done. <laughs> yeah, but so now I'm trying to write a book about this, these stamps. So I have I'm using it as an excuse to s study the work of these guys. Most, some of whom I'm really interested in, and some I'm not at all. The only reason we saw the the first designer, Eugene Grasset. He doesn't interest me in the least, but I'm starting um, chronologically, so he's the first guy I wrote about, so he's been on my mind. Hopefully, the next I won't make the next group suffer for, through his stamps. Given that these stamps come from government printing offices, and given that the other really important thing that comes from government printing offices besides propaganda and tax forms is currency, mm -hmm. um, are there similar, is there... Are there famous type designers who have been involved in the design or lettering of, of national currency? Yes, yes. Um, Sem Hartz and Reynolds Stone are the two that come to mind. And I just haven't, I'm afraid to get started on that. <laughs> Actually, what I'd like to do next is um, the gravestones of type designers and book people, since these people who have dedicated their lives to typography and these are their final um, their final marks whether or not they had anything to do with them or not so if anyone knows where someone is buried are these designers chosen through competitions generally uh, or are they uh, selected by uh, without you know, submitting something well, I think I, I can only speak for the U.S. Um, there aren't competitions that the post office comes to you. And I'm guessing by the Dutch designers, the real superstars um, from all over the world, I think the Dutch go to these guys. Yes, now what? Did the stamp in Fargo ever become a real stamp? Um, I don't know. 
But, you know, uh, someone asked about the Fargo stamp in the, the last time. And I guess that wasn't a real, that wasn't a stamp that was used, I guess duck stamps are used for hunting permits. So I'm not a hunter, um, so it wouldn't have crossed my path. I guess not. And I, since that, since I gave this talk last, I haven't watched Fargo, but it's on the list. Do you think there's a lot of a typographic slash stamp designers left to discover? Or? Oh, I last year I thought there were none. <laughs> um, when I was at 15, I thought I was done, and now I'm at 45. Um, I wrote to Jan Middeldorp, who wrote a book about Dutch type. I asked him one question, and he sent me back a list of six or seven guys that I I had no idea existed. So I figured no one else is going to do this. So I'm trying to get them all. Um, And they're all online at my website, so now we all share them. (laughs) And I have this stack down here to pass out, so you can have a little at home, too. Have you done anything with, with truly fictional stamps designed by artists like uh, Nick Bantock's Capital Land stamps and things like that? Not so much. I'm, and that's only because I'm, I'm... Originally, I was trying to pursue the work of these people that I was interested in, and I try to limit my interests. Well, thanks very much. Next year, he's coming back to do the folding bicycles. Thank you very much indeed. It's a bit of a dodgy thing to give a poster to a professional designer. But this poster, which features a number of the stamps talked about today, was actually designed by our very own Amanda Nelson yeah. and, and with Michael Russell, <laughs> your own work coming back at you. <laughs> Th- thank you very much indeed. Yeah, thank we, you. Will, we will retire to the room where we were yesterday for, as they say in Britain, a collation. Please join us to have a drink before dinner and continue our conversation with Michael. Thank you very much.